Would you please pray once more with me? Father, it is the greatest need of this hour for you to speak to us from your word. Lord, that we could behold your glory. Surely we have a glorious word before us this morning. Lord, in the announcement of the Lord's birth. So, Lord, we pray that you would impress us with your glory this morning. And, Lord, that we would respond with all the praise and all the honor and all the glory that is due to your name. Father, we ask your blessing upon us now. May your spirit be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've been with us at Emmanuel for any amount of time, uh, the last several weeks we have been in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and 2. This is a familiar, uh, these are familiar chapters around this time, for these chapters record the early heralds of the gospel. Uh, The last few weeks, we've seen the gospel according to Gabriel. We've seen Gabriel and his announcement to the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, and then later the mother of our Lord uh, to Mary. Then the next week, we considered the gospel magnified in Mary's Magnificat as she celebrates the Lord's grace and mercy to her, to the people of Israel. And then last week, we considered the gospel according to Zechariah in Zechariah's prophecy and his announcement and glorying in the Lord over his son, John's birth. This is all before the birth of Christ. These are all the announcements and and the celebrations that are before the actual birth of the Lord. This week, as Lai Chao read, we are in Luke 2. In the first seven verses of chapter 2, Luke rather briefly describes the birth of Jesus. Uh, we see that Joseph, partly because of civic duty, and also partly because, as we know, divine appointment, he leads his pregnant wife Mary to the town of David, to the town of Bethlehem. It's time for the baby to come. There's no room in the inn to deliver the child, so they have to deliver him in a stable. Jesus is born. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's laid in a manger, which scholars tend to agree is almost certainly some sort of animal feeding trough. This is all an astonishing snapshot of the first moments of our Lord's humanity. It's edifying and worthwhile to pause and reflect over every detail here, yet our focus this morning will not be upon the manger scene. Rather, it will be upon the focus, our focus of this message will be upon the scene in the field, the scene of the announcement of the Lord's birth to the shepherds, because it is in this announcement that we see the first proclamation and reception of the gospel after his birth. So with this in mind, we're going to be focusing on verses 8 through 20 as we consider the gospel according to the angels. I have three simple headings to this message this morning. First, the hearers of the gospel. Secondly, the proclamation of the gospel. And third, the response to the gospel. We consider first with me the, the hearers of the gospel. The hearers of the gospel. Verse 8 And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Did you ever wonder why it was shepherds? Children, do you wonder why it was shepherds that the Lord chose to announce the news of his son's birth? Many people have different explanations for why it was shepherds that, that the Lord announced the coming of his son. 
Some people attach sentimental attachments of, 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 and tropes of faithfulness to these shepherds, like they were so godly that the Lord chose them to first hear this news. I don't see evidence of that in this text. Other people say something like, these shepherds, they were, they were something of the dregs of society in that day. And this is the lowest of the low that we hear receiving the gospel. They're, 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 they're the dregs or the low class. If you were a pirate, you would say they were scallywags. They, they were low people. Well, I don't see this is, uh, shepherds as a deviant class or anything like that. Rather, I think the reason Luke highlights that it was shepherds who heard the gospel is simply first that it was shepherds who heard the gospel. It was shepherds who received the announcement of our Lord's birth. But secondly, sort of related to that second interpretation, to show us that the gospel comes to the lowly. The gospel comes to the humble. Shepherds were lowly. There was no job more ordinary and boring than shepherding. There was no task more menial. There was no more seemingly insignificant task than shepherding. Surely time must have moved at an excruciating pace during the shepherd's graveyard shift. No offense to any shepherds in the, mor- in the, in the room. This was a boring job. It was a mean profession. It was a lowly profession. If the gospel coming to shepherds in these verses is illustrative of something Luke will stress again and again and again and again and again throughout his gospel. In Luke's gospel, we see the message of salvation reaching all kinds of people. It reaches rich people. It reaches poor people. It reaches Gentiles. It, re- it reaches Jews. It reaches the religious. It re- reaches the wayward. The gospel, according to Luke, is a message that is radically inclusive of all kinds of people. The proclamation of salvation knows no bounds in Luke. Even the poor, yes. Even lepers and sick, yes. Even prodigals, even Pharisees, even prostitutes, yes. They all receive the gospel. Even dying thieves on crosses, yes. Even sinners, yes, especially them. In Jesus' life and ministry from cradle to grave and glory, Luke will make eminently plain the gospel is a message for everyone. In the case of this text, in the case of Luke 2, it's a message for lowly shepherds. But even before the gospel could be expressed to these shepherds, even before the gospel could reach their ears, we see that these men were filled with fear. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. These angelic announcements can become so familiar to us that we can, we can glaze over the details. Luke says that these shepherds were filled with great fear. Greek is it's megaphobia. We see fear in, in other angelic announcements. Uh, this fear wasn't unique to the shepherds. In, in all the angelic announcements, whether it's Matthew or Luke, there's usually the appearance of the angel. There's usually then fear of that angel, fear of that appearance. Then there's the angel reply to fear not or, or don't be afraid. Then there's going to be some sort of message that that angel is heralding. And then there's going to be some sort of sign attached to this message. So, so in this way, the, 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 that we see fear in the shepherds, it's not unique. But what is unique about this appearance is what Luke says. He says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. You don't see that in other announcements. Luke says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. What did they see? What on earth did they hear? 
What did they, what did they feel? What was the sensation? What on earth, did, what, what on heaven did they see? What did these shepherds see? Was it something like what Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6? Where he said he saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple, and I saw cherubim singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Luke says, The glory of the Lord shone around them. But what did they see? Was it something like Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 1 where he says, Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day was the rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Well, we don't know exactly what the shepherds saw. We don't know know what they saw. Scholars think it was something like the Shekinah glory, but even that, we don't know what that looks like. But we do know how they reacted to this glory. Luke says that they were filled with fear. Fear is the reflex response of divine encounter. And what's fascinating is fear in the Bible and the response to God's glory with fear is a response we see of, from faithful people as well as faithless people. We see that response from believers as well as unbelievers. Isaiah and Ezekiel were faithful men. They were believing men. They had a right relationship with God. Moses was a faithful man. And this is not the main idea of this sermon, but it's worth saying. The fear of the faithless and the faithful are two sensations of an entirely different kind. Faithful fear of God is in the context of a right relationship to God. Though the righteous may tremble, they love the appearing of God's glory. Yet for the faithless, they cannot survive God's glory. For God's glory to them brings wrath and condemnation. This is why when the Lamb appears in Revelation 6, the the wicked are said to hide themselves in the mountains and the hills and the rocks, and then they turn to those hills and those mountains, and they call on them to to, 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 to crush them, to keep them from the sight of the Lamb. For great is the day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Friends, this is my point. The glory of God, the glory of the Lord is a terrible sight to the wicked. And it even causes righteous men to tremble. And in this text, I can't discern the nature of these shepherds' fear. I don't know what precisely animated their fear, whether their fear was the shuddering of wicked sinners or the shivering of startled yet secure saints. I, I don't know exactly why, what and why they were fearful. But I do know what calmed their fear. I do know what settled their fear, and that was the gospel. Would you consider with me heading number two, the proclamation of the gospel? Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord And this will be a sign for you. You will find a manger or baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the angel, he comes. They're filled with fear. And he tells them to fear not because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
The verb is to bring good news. It's evangelizo. It's found 11 times in the Gospels and 10 times in the Gospel of Luke. It's just this enormous theme in the Gospel of Luke. It's obviously the word from which we derive our English word uh, evangelism or to evangelize. So it's as if the, 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 the angel here, he's telling the shepherds, hey, fear not because I bring the gospel to you. I bring good news to you. And what is that good news? Well, he expounds this gospel, this good news, by conveying knowledge about Jesus. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First he says a, a Savior has been born. We should all be thinking this, but a word like Savior deserves a follow-up question. A Savior from what? It necessitates a saving from some sort of danger. Saviors cannot exist in vacuums. There's no salvation where there's no peril. You get that. There's no saving where there's no danger. And there's no good news. There's no gospel without bad news. So the question, it begs the question, what is the danger? Well, as we considered last week, Jesus primarily offers spiritual deliverance from a spiritual problem. He offers personal deliverance from a personal problem. Zechariah prophesied of this last week when, when in Jesus, he says his son John would give knowledge of salvation to his people in what? In the forgiveness of their sins. This is, was it some sort of ethnic salvation or some sort of political salvation. It's salvation from sins. It's the darkness within. It's the corruption within. Friends, though I use the word spiritual, this danger is spiritual. It's not abstract. It's not some ethereal reality that you can't nail down. Sin is the problem. Our own corruption is the problem. Apart from the gospel, we are condemned. And it's our very corruption that calls for a savior. You get that. It's our very sin that necessitates a savior. Our darkness demands deliverance. And at the core of the gospel is this glorious news that a savior is born. A savior that will deliver us from sins and a savior that we know even better than these shepherds would pay the price for that sin. He is both savior and sacrifice. But just as we need more than a savior. The gospel is not just news that there is a savior. It's even more than that. But the angel says that this savior is Christ the Lord. Christ, this is the first time we see this word Christ in Luke's gospel. The name Christ, we can often forget, it's not like Jesus' last name. It's not like it was the Christ family and his first name is Jesus and his last name is Christ. It's not like Bond, James Bond, Christ, Jesus Christ. It's not like that. Now, the name Christ will become so synonymous with Jesus that it's not wrong for us to address Jesus as Christ and, and look at that as his name. But Christ, first and foremost, it's a title. And it's a title that the Jews of those days, the shepherds, even them, they would have recognized. And not only that, they would have been anticipating this Christ. It was something that was longed for for the Jews. It was something that was prophesied of old. You see, this means that Jesus was the Messiah, that's what Christ means. He was the Holy One. He was the coming expected one. It is a royal title with regal expectations. To say that Jesus is Christ is to say that he is the king. Do you see that? The gospel is not just that Jesus is Savior, though that's gloriously true. It's that Jesus is the Christ. 
And the rest of the Gospels will be to prove that Jesus is the Christ. And the Lord Jesus, he will decisively show that he was the Christ when he dies on the cross. The arrival and consummation of God's kingdom, it was something that was expected by the Jews. And it was repeatedly predicted by their prophets. We even saw that in this morning's class in Mark. And such a kingdom had been promised to the line of David. This is why Gabriel told Mary that her son Jesus would be the son of the Most High and that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David. Throne, David, King David. This is a kingly title, this Christ. This is why Zechariah praised God for raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. It's why Luke and Matthew record that Jesus was born in the town of David. It's why we sang the hymn a moment ago, once in royal David's city. You see, to be a Jew in those days, especially a pious Jew, was to await with, with longing expectation for a coming king to bring equity, to bring balance, to bring life, and to rule with peace. You were waiting for a king, a, a sovereign under whose reign justice, peace, and beauty would shine. So you see, once more, the gospel according to the angels is not only that Jesus is Savior, but that he is the Christ. That he is Christ the Lord, Lord over all. He is king. He is both rescuer and regent. He is both savior and sovereign. Now, what these shepherds, or Zechariah, or Mary, or Elizabeth, or the preborn John, what, what, what they would have known about this Christ would have been a completely blurry picture. It would have been completely an, an incomplete picture. But brothers and sisters, we know the story. We know what happens next in Luke's gospel. Luke will go on to show how exactly Jesus is the Christ. He, he, pro, he preaches good news to the poor. He liberates the captives. He, he, he heals the blind. He heals the lepers. And he would also die and rise from the dead for his people's sins. And he would teach his disciples to preach repentance for the forgiveness of his sins in his name. This is why... The Apostle Peter, later in Acts, he can preach in Acts 2 at Pentecost to Jerusalem. He can say, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ. This is in light of everything he knew about Jesus, this Jesus whom you crucified. What is the gospel according to the angel? It's that this Jesus was a savior and that this Jesus was Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Holy One. He was the King and Lord over all. And such a gospel, such glorious good news, deserves a glorious response. Deserves a glorious response. Will you consider with me, heading number three, the response to the gospel. First we see the angels respond after the angel, he offers a sign of his message that Jesus would be born in swaddling clothes and in a manger in Bethlehem. Then Luke says in verse 13, And suddenly there was an angel, um, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What a spectacle! What a sight! Can you imagine? The angel, he's, he's giving this message, and then this chorus of angel intrudes upon that voice and says, glory to God in the highest. It's, 
We shouldn't miss this. Just a few verses ago, these shepherds, they were shaking, they were shaking in their boots. They were desperately fearful. They were astonished. Perhaps they were dreadful. And we're told that the first words out of this angel's mouth were, fear not. Now perhaps he wanted to relieve their fear. Maybe he wanted to send any, away any feelings of dread. Yet surely he did not intend for the glory of these tidings to dampen any glorious response. Any response of wonder, any response of trembling, any response of joy, any response of ecstasy. This is because this glorious good news, it demands a glorious response. It's necessary that there's a glorious response to this good news. It's as if it, it, the world would have tilted off its axis if these angels didn't join in chorus and sing glory to God in the highest. If intense praise was not rendered immediately to God. We see a similar sentiment in Luke 19. You know what happens in Luke 19? That's the triumphal entry of the Lord into Jerusalem. Where we hear those words, Hosanna in the highest. That's at the triumphal entry. The Lord, he's performed most of his ministry in Galilee. He's, he's entering Jerusalem. And he's received by great crowds. And you know what those crowds say? Luke records, they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Do you know how Jesus replied? Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus says there that if the living don't praise me, the dead objects will be animated with praise. Brothers and sisters, God always receives his glory. He always gets his praise. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above his handiwork. And in the case of Luke 2, it's this heavenly host of angels. And what are they singing? They're singing glory to God in the highest. And more importantly, peace on earth with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth with those of whom God rests his favor. The idea is that God's saving action in the world it would bring peace. And in this context, this is not world peace. This is not some sort of national peace. This is not economic or social stability. This is peace in the restoration of a right relationship with God. That's what the peace God brings. That's what the peace the angels are celebrating. It's peace that restores people to God. And once more, brothers and sisters, I can't help but notice on this side of the cross, we are blessed with the whole story. The whole story of which the shepherds only had a foretaste. We know that Jesus offers us peace by the blood of his cross. By the sacrifice of his, of his life on the cross for sinners. This is why Paul, he writes in Colossians 3, he says, For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile. To reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How do we get this peace? It's by Christ's blood. His very sacrifice of his own life for sinners who have faith in him. Friends, it's so easy to forget peace is not our steady state. We're not born into peace in this world. It took God to become a man to bring us peace. It took God to deliver his son to death to bring us peace. We are by nature children of wrath. We deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. 
But God sent his, world, his son into the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish. They don't need to perish, but they can have eternal life. The gospel is the news that you can have peace with God, and this is exactly what the angels are celebrating. What do the angels celebrate about the gospel? They celebrate the Savior Jesus Christ who brings peace on earth with men. This is the angelic response, but what about the shepherd's response? How do the shepherds respond? Well, within the shepherds, and and subsequently, we see a chain reaction of, of, of responses to this good news. First, we see faith and telling of the, of the good news. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known that saying that, they had, been, that had been told them concerning this child. You see what they do? They have faith. They believe this account. They, they, did, they took the angel's word for that. They said, this has happened. Let's go see it. And then with haste, what did they do? With haste, they went to Bethlehem to see the Lord. And even more than this, they shared the good news. They told others of the good news. They promoted the good news. They proclaimed the gospel. What are other reactions we see? We see wonder. In verse 18, we see the wonder of those that were told. It says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And it seems like this, this wonder that we see of the people, it was perhaps a, a louder and maybe a more public response than other responses you see. Because we see Mary, what does she do? In verse 19, she treasured and pondered this word. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here's my point. In all of this, what sort of responses do we see to the gospel, we see all sorts of responses. We see faith, we see belief in God's word. We see sharing of the good news. We see obedience to the angels. We see wonder at the good news. We see treasuring and pondering at the good news. It's all a glorious picture of, of positive response to the gospel. And friends, I can't help but acknowledge that Luke 1 and 2, they are marked with overwhelmingly positive responses to Jesus. I mean, it's just back, uh, one after another, after another, after another. We see Zechariah, we see Mary, we see Elizabeth, we see even John within the womb, he leaps for joy, right? We see the shepherds, later we see the people, we see Mary, we see Simeon, we see Anna, we see all sorts of people, they respond positively to this news. In Luke 1 and 2, Jesus is met with overwhelming acceptance. I don't know if actual genuine faith followed each of these positive responses. Friends, let us make no mistake. It will not be so the rest of the narrative. Jesus has been rightly called the man of sorrows, Isaiah tells us. He would be rejected again and again and again and again. Don't let the cheer of this text make you forget that Jesus would be personally rejected over and over again. And to this day, friends, millions and millions of people reject Jesus. And the option of accepting or rejecting Christ is held out to everyone. So it's worth asking the question, how will you respond to this good news? How will you respond to Jesus? And friends, I don't say this to elicit any sort of pity of Jesus 
or that you should feel sorry for Jesus. I say this because should you reject the Lord Jesus and the gospel that is presented to you, to you today, you do so at your own destruction. You do so at your own peril. You do so at your own danger. You do so at your own condemnation in a hell forever. And friends, I don't want any of you to go to hell. So please, listen to the gospel. This is good news. In Jesus, we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But listen, He only saves those who respond to Him in faith. He's not a general Savior for all people. Now, He's the only Savior that the world knows. But listen, you got to have faith. You need to trust Him. You need to repent. You need to turn to Him. You need to own Him as your own. You need to love Him. You need to turn to Him. And you can know Him as Savior today. If you repent of your sins and you believe that he is the Lord of all, that he is your savior, you will be saved. If you turn to him, put your faith in him and trust him. Brothers and sisters, this is not where this text ends. And I want to end this message where this text ends, and that is in verse 20, where we see the shepherds once more offer praise to God. In verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told to them. Emmanuel, brothers and sisters, I cannot think of any more fitting response to this glorious good news than that we respond in kind, that we praise God with our whole hearts, rendering to him all honor and glory and praise due to his name. Let us respond with the shepherds as they respond to the angels. Would you pray with me? Father, surely this is glorious good news. Lord, surely if we heard the angel that night, we would be trembling like the shepherds. But Lord, your story for the shepherds doesn't end there. They responded in faith. And not just in faith, but incredible praise to you. So Father, we pray that you would fill us with this good news. And that we would respond rightly. And that we would offer you and your son everything within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.